Okay, so we want to dig in a little bit more. Uh, I, only, <laughs> I only put up and sought to do uh, five verses today, uh, but we're still going to go two hours. <clears throat> so, uh, no, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what the Lord does. So turn in your Bibles with me to Colossians, but I know you love God's Word, and so you don't really care at all. You want to go further uh, for longer. So, uh, Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, we're going to go through verse 10, and we'll see what the Lord has for us. Uh, we've already prayed, so if you would, stand to your feet, and let's <clears throat> give respect to God's Word as I read these verses. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive of, uh, by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority." You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So I want to get into this word this morning, and I want to see if we can mine out a few wonderful truths as we understand Christ to be revealing them to us in his holy and infallible, his wonderful word, which is our rule uh, and authority. Uh, it is the truth by which we test all other truths. I hope that that is true for you. I hope that you believe that, and I hope that you are aware of how important that doctrine of the inerrancy and infallibility of the Word is. It is, it is how we understand uh, who Christ is. Christ is the Word. The Word is Christ. Uh, Christ is the Word made flesh. And so we want to dig into the Word of God. We want this to be the basis for what we believe and how we believe it. So I want you to uh, turn with me, I've got it up here as well, to the uh, verses that we just read, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, and let's go through these as we mine out some of God's truth. So we're just going to break it down. Verse 6, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Okay, we need to stop there. Let's look at the text right here, and I want to pull out some things. Now, you know I try as much as I can not to really dig too much into Greek and original languages because while I do believe that can be extremely helpful and we can learn from the original languages at, time, at times, what I don't want to do is undermine the authority of the English translations. I do believe with all of my heart that God has preserved His Word and He has preserved His uh, canonical works of Scripture, the 66 books written by over 40 different authors over a, 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 an, an immense time span, and there's no contradiction. It is, it is a supernatural work. But what we need to understand is, is that they were written in an, in an original language that sometimes is hard to translate into English. Sometimes you lose a little bit as you translate. And that's not to say that we can't understand the original meaning that God had. We can, but, uh, but some nuances and things like that can oftentimes be lost. And even just verb tenses and things like that. And oftentimes it's not that big of a deal. We don't lose any major doctrines, and so I don't want to undermine the, the, the English translation. But what we can 
can do is with a little bit of understanding and a little bit of insight and a little bit of digging, we can see little things that, that I think were meant by the text that will help us in our pursuit and understanding of Jesus Christ and Christianity uh, as a whole. Does that make sense to you? So I'm not undermining when I go to the Greek. Uh, I, don't, I know about as much Greek to get me in trouble. I have to have helps and things like that. I did take Greek for a, a fair amount of time, but it's a very... It's a very in-depth language with lots of nuances, and so there's many that are better than me. But some of the programs can point out, and some of the commentaries, uh, especially the expositional commentaries, can, can really help us to see some little things. Well, I want to show you one of those things here in this, these first couple of verses here. The text says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So walk in him. Before we get to rooted and built up, I want to show you a few things here as we talk about receiving Christ Jesus. Uh, as I was reading and studying, one of the commentaries brought up, and I thought that this was very, very interesting, that this, uh, the way this is written right here when it says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, this, this, uh, construction right here in the original language this is the only time in the Pauline epistles this is the only time where Paul wrote that there was an object of direct receiving a direct object being received that was not uh, an inanimate object it th he says this is the only time that this is referred to like this that Jesus Christ himself is the thing being received I believe that, that Paul is doing this purposefully, and I'll tell you why I'm, I'm suggesting that we need to look at this, is this reason. You see, the ones that are his opponents, the Gnostics, these that believed in uh, many different uh, deistic spirits, the many, many different um, gods, and Jesus was just another one of the gods, that we could interact with these gods, that, that they had some power but not full power, and so on and so forth. What Paul has, if you remember, throughout this entire epistle throughout this entire letter has been trying to make the case that Jesus Christ is the God he is Yahweh he's not a God he doesn't have some power he has all power he is the the he is Christ, he is God in human form that he is the God man he's fully God and therefore, he has all rule, all authority, all dominion. Remember the case he made that Jesus Christ himself is the creator of all things. He's making this case continually that Jesus Christ created all things. And not only were they created through him, but for him. He is the beginning and the end. Jesus Christ himself is the Alpha and Omega. That there is no other God besides Jesus Christ. Well, you say, well, what does that have to do with this? What I believe that, that Paul is saying here, and if, if you would have, have read it in those times, that you may have, according to the Gnostics, been, uh, you may have been affected by a God, you may have been uh, blessed by a God, you needed to appease the gods, but there was no God that had all the power, that there, there was none that had every bit of the authority, and Paul here is making the argument that this God that created you will come himself in all of his deity and fill you and interact with you. In other words, he's saying that you can not just be one of the minions of this God. You, cannot, you can be not just a, an afterthought of this God, but you can actually receive Yahweh. 
Does this make sense? You know, you hear Southern Baptists and, and evangelists in our area all the time say, it's not, about, uh, uh, it's not about a profession, not about doing the right thing. It's about a relationship, right? Um, people in reform circles, and, and, and they, call the, they call you and they call us, they call us evangelies, right? Because we're kind of always ooey-gooey, you know? Jesus do, isn't looking to just make you do certain things. He's not just looking to, to, to make you um, obey or transform. He is looking to have a personal relationship with you. He wants to walk with you and talk with you and interact with you, and, and that's what he's wanting. And, and I think sometimes we can get off on a kick to where we we make it too much about the feelings. We talked about that Wednesday night in the prayer group. I think we can do that. But I don't think that we need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. That it is true that this God who created us wants to be fully embraced by us, received by us himself. Not just his teaching, not just his message, but he himself. He is the direct object of the receiving. Paul's saying, that, therefore, as you have received the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You have received him. He has come to you. Do you understand that? Have we grasped that reality? Have we grasped the reality that we don't just receive a teaching, we don't just receive a message, but our God is alive. He's actually alive. He is alive and well. He moves among us. He comes to us himself. And I know that maybe this has fallen on deaf ears because you don't really see the the the. the the difference or uh, th this, this highlighted nuance. But oftentimes we hear and we say, oh, that's, that's a good teaching. Oh, that's, that's a good message. Oh, okay, yeah, I might should do something about that. But what we fail to realize is, is that Jesus Christ, who is the living God, who is here right now, is wanting and desiring and coming to you, not to just y'all, but to you, and wants to be embraced and received by you that you would have relationship with him. Many of us come this morning, and we're just part of some type of community of believers. We don't really, we haven't received Jesus Christ in and of himself, that when we are alone, and that when we are uh, by ourselves, and there's no one around, and it's quiet, that we are talking with our Savior, because he's right there. The God of all creation. Is, is your Christianity, is it a religion that you follow certain steps and things you do? Or do you really, have you embraced into your person the person of Jesus Christ? Amen. Now, we ain't got past three words, but this is good. This is good. Christ is to be received by faith by you, your Jesus. Then there is a real sense now, we don't need to, you know, say me, me, Jesus, and my Bible under a tree. No, we are a part of a body. But this is a good teaching I think we need to, to touch on. There is one more thing here that I want to point out before we get in any further. Is it says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, this is the only, this is the only place that this is, it, it occurs like this to you. Not say, well, I see the Bible say the Lord all the time. But as Jesus, but as the Lord is written here with uh, the definite article in front of it, pointing to Christ Jesus, this is signifying that Jesus Christ is 
the Lord. It's not that Christ is reigning as Lord over you in an office now that he's taken, that uh, he is in a position of authority over you and you're subservient to him, but he's not actually supreme. Because if you know the Lord can be used, or Lord, the word, is, is curious, and it can be used just even as Caesar, you know, someone who is exercising authority over you in these days could have been referred to as Lord. Uh, you know, Sarah, it says now, I don't know how much my wife would like this verse, but it says, ladies, be as Sarah, even referring to Abraham as Lord. I'm like, what's up? You know, I'm walking around the house, I'll be like, you know, he'll be like, hey, my Lord. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that ain't happening. All right, so we've changed language, right? Uh, but that uh, you would refer to, to someone as Lord who had authority over you. Well, this is, uh, it, it is unmistakable that it was written in such a way that this is pointing to that, that, that as you received Christ Jesus, who is not a Lord, he doesn't Lord over you. He is the Lord. Okay, he is the Lord, and I'm not stretching anything. If you go back and look at the first chapter of Colossians, you see that he's making this point the entire time. Anyway, that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. He is the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Jesus is Lord, right? And so we have right here at the very, not even one sentence, but at the first half of the sentence, is that Paul is saying, therefore, and remember, whenever you see therefore, you need to look and, and see why, what it's therefore, right? And it's therefore to point back to what Paul had already been teaching that I've already preached on, and that is, is that since you have heard this great truth, since you have been built up in your faith, rooted and grounded and firm in your faith in order and the firmness of your faith, therefore, since you have been, since you have, uh, been filled with faith and filled with the Spirit, as you received Christ Jesus, who is Yahweh. Now, I want to point out that this is pointing back, and he's going to show us which direction we're going. So we have a past uh, reality, and it, this will be very clear in just a second, a past reality that has abiding results up until the present within uh, pressing realities on us that propel us out into the future. So he's, he's covering the whole scheme of time he is saying therefore as you received as you were built up in faith as you were born again the same way that you received Christ you are to progress now and what does the progression look like that's what he's going to talk about here in just a second so what I want to show you is and I broke this down in two different ways and I think they've got these this teaching up on there I, I want to show you the effect of gospel firmness so the gospel that you have received by faith, and that faith is not of yourself, but it's a gift of God. The gospel that you received by faith from God, it has an effect on you. It reaches and it touches you. It does something in you, right? And then after we look at the, God, the effect of gospel firmness, I want to look at the result of the faith in Christ, which is manifest in wisdom and gospel firmness. Now, that might sound a little bit complicated, but this is what I want to point out. 
The effect of gospel firmness, how it changes you, how it transforms you, and then what happens when you're changed and when you're transformed. And I tell you this not to say, oh, well, let's just learn a little bit about Christians who've been affected by the gospel. No, that is true. I want to teach you that. I want you to see that. But if we don't apply it to ourselves, then what good is it? The whole teaching is, is that when someone is born again and they are given the gift of faith and they're transformed by the gospel, they will look a different way. And when they look a different way, that will have results in their life that will manifest itself in a certain way. And that should be what you and I look like. And therefore, you can then hold that up and look in that mirror and say, is this me? And if it's not you, then you can repent and you can make changes in your life. Ask God to make changes in your life that you would reflect the glory of God in a better light, right? So we don't just need to hear and say, oh, that's really good. We need to hear and say, oh, that is who I am. Praise be to God. He's working in me. Let me continue on in that light. Or we need to say, oh, no, I just heard the truth. That's not who I am. Lord God, forgive me. Grant me repentance and change me that I might better reflect your glory. Does, does that make sense? We don't just preach to be preaching and hear some guy yelling just to be yelling, okay? Let's hear the word of the Lord, and let's do something about it. Okay, so let's look at, uh, do you have the notes still, Amber, from last week? All right, let's look at the, the effect of gospel firmness. Okay, go to, go to one. Okay, so first we're going to see this walking in Christ. And we've already touched on this a little bit, and we've already talked about it a little bit. But this is where I want to go, and this is what I want to show you. Okay, so therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So this is what he's saying. The same way that you received, you are going to walk, okay? So it's not like, okay, how did you receive? Somebody tell me. Let's interact a little bit this morning. How did you receive? You received the gospel. How did you receive the gospel? Somebody spoke it. A proclamation of the gospel came to you and you received it. But what was the transmission method? I know that we say that he spoke it, but how did we receive it? Did we just hear it? Or did, what, what was the method? What was, by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith was, the, faith was the means by which the gospel was planted inside of us and had abiding results. Okay? So as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, and we know we receive him through the proclamation of the gospel by means of faith. By grace you have been saved through faith. That is not a gift of yourself, but it is, uh, that is not of yourself, but a gift of God. So we know that we received Christ Jesus the Lord by faith, okay? And a lot can be added on to that. So we know that by faith we uh, received the Lord, but the faith was the result of the working of God through the Spirit. We know that Jesus Christ said, I must go so that I can send the Holy Spirit that he would do all of these works in you. That, hope that the Holy Spirit is the one that brings us to regeneration by faith that is granted by the Father. And so all of this I say to say this is that receiving Christ Jesus even by faith is of the Spirit. Any problems so far? 
It's the Holy Spirit that regenerates a man. The Bible's clear. There is none who seek God, not one. There are none righteous, no, not even one. There are none who go after him. All have gone astray. So God gets all the glory and all the power and all the praise from one second to the end. The Alpha and the Omega, he is the beginning and the end of creation. He is the beginning and the end of salvation. That God gets all the glory. But that's not my message today. My point is this, is that in the same way you received him, you are to continue to walk in him. Which means that not only is justification a primary work of the Holy Spirit, but, all, but so also is sanctification. And it is Christian living. That the Holy Spirit is the one that is working in you. And the same way that you received Christ, you are to continue on in Christ. And I would suggest that that is by the power of the Holy Spirit in faith. Now, let me show you a couple of other supporting texts that would show you that. Not to uh, show you proof texting, but to show you that Paul is harmonious in the way that he teaches this. So look over with me if you want to, to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Uh, which is going to say almost the same thing. <clears throat> now, speaking of the Galatians who had a little bit different issue, they were, they were fighting with legalists and <clears throat> Judaizers. But he, said, <clears throat> he tells the Galatians, he says, having begun, this is uh, Galatians 3, verse 3. Galatians 3, 3. <laughs> He's talking to them about... Um, the works of the law, and they were under this push to, to do what they were supposed to do in order to receive God and be a part of God. But listen to what he tells them. Now, this might be considered too harsh in our day, but rem remember, I'm reading the scripture. <laughs> Are you so foolish, right? That's pretty tough language, isn't it? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It's the same thing. He's saying, having been transformed by the Spirit of God, it's outside of you. The Spirit of God chased you down. The Spirit of God changed your life. The Spirit of God opened your eyes. The Spirit of God opened your ears. You didn't love God. You weren't seeking God. You weren't chasing God. You weren't looking for God. God came looking for you, and that's the only reason you here you old sinner you can't fool me I know who I was I know how I was and I know I hated his stinking guts but he chased me down he caught me and he pinned me down and opened my eyes I said Woo man my eyes have been opened to the truth and it was by no effort of my own God chased me down by the power of the Holy Spirit but wait there's more you see not only does he chase you down and change your life he picks you up and walks with you hand in hand showing you every step of the way and empowering you to put one foot in front of the other right God gets all the glory amen amen, amen. God gets all the glory, not some, not part, not the beginning. He gets all the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, it goes on. Having begun by the, by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? Was it your ability in your own willing and in your own flesh to keep the law and be good people that caused God to come among you and do these great things? And so you need to keep on doing these certain things in order to please God or motivate God to do the work of God really what a burden on God's people what a burden and you some of you are living under that burden today 
And you may say, I don't, I don't do Jewish works. I don't, I, don't, I don't do those things. Yes, but you have replaced them with other things. You think that if you don't do a certain thing or, or you don't, you're, not, you're not following a certain pattern that God is now angry with you and he has left you and he has, he has turned you over to the enemy that he is no longer working in your life? Did you think that it was the works of the law and keeping in obedience that caused God to be God in your life? Could it be that God is now unable to work in you because of the life that you've been living? Or is it maybe that you just need to quit living that way and realize that God is still at work? That God's not left you or abandoned you. God doesn't need you to do something in order for him to do something. Now, it is true that we can quench the Holy Spirit and we can grieve God. That's absolutely true. But you need to understand that God is not strong-armed into being God because you are obedient. God is not, and God is not in your debt as if, as if he owed you something because you did what you were supposed to do already. Does this make sense? <clears throat> Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How about this? I'm preaching to myself now, Matt. I'm preaching to myself, brother. I am. I really am. I'm preaching to myself. Let's see if it helps you too. That's all I'll ask. How about this? How about when we get in a place where we don't feel good enough to come before God because we've done the wrong thing and we've messed up as if our not messing up gives us the right to go into his presence? How about, how about instead, when we fall, when we fail, when we mess up, we act as a son does? We act as a daughter does, and we assume that God's grace, mercy, faithfulness is forever, no matter what we've done. And instead of that, instead of that failure keeping us out, it would cause us to run to. How about instead of thinking that our works strong-arm God into favor, that we would understand we have no good works in and of ourselves anyway and that when we fail we recognize that God was being truthful the whole time and that we would remind ourselves we would preach to ourselves what the gospel that there was nothing in and of you that calls God to love you for this is love not that we loved him but that he, not that we first loved him but that he loved us and showed mercy and grace on us and set himself forth as a propitiation for sin what if we preached the gospel to ourselves every time that we had an issue, every time that we fell? Do you think that might be what Paul is saying here? Is that you started by faith, you started by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you going to do enough good works now to finish this race, or are you going to finish it how you started? Look over at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 7. You were running well. Paul says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You began with the power of the Holy Spirit in receiving faith from God by no merit of your own. And now that faith has taken root in you and it's caused these works in you and you love God now. But then you fall and you fail and you make a mistake and 
We know that everyone does that. For anyone that has, says he is without sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. But when we fall and when we fail, what does the same context tell us? Is that when you do sin, remember you have an advocate before the Father who makes intercession continually for you. Woo-wee! What if we said, Lord Jesus, I've made a mistake. I know I can't work my way out of this mistake, so I'm going to trust the very blessings and forgiveness and faith and regeneration and gospel power that set me in this place to begin with. I know that I have no uh, ability in my own flesh to maintain the life that you've called me to, but I know that the power that you called me by will will sustain me in. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So we've not even still got through one sentence. But it's so good and so rich and so thick we could spend two years here on this one verse. But it's so good. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So walk, people of God. Walk, people of God. So we know that, that the, one, the one effect of the gospel firmness is walking in Christ. Now I want to show you something else here. I'm going to go back to the Greek here for just a second. because now, But you, you wouldn't have to go to the Greek. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you. Uh, maybe one minute on translations. I had a conversation with a guy a couple days ago. I love him to death. He's a KJVO guy. That's the King James Version only, okay? Uh, He believes that the the King James Version is the only inspired version, the only authoritative version. Okay, that's what, whoever wants to hold that's fine, but I want to show you, I want to tell you something. The the King James Version translators didn't believe that themselves, Okay, if you want to go, now why am I saying this? Because I want to show you something here. Because if you, if you go to the preface of the 1611 uh, King James Bible, the translators themselves showed and pointed out the importance of why they were doing what they were doing and the need for the, the Bible to be translated in different languages for the people to be able to understand. Okay. Now, with that being said, I love the King James Bible. I think it's great. I still use it often. It's wonderful in its own right. It's great. It's wonderful. But I think that there is, is wonderful translations. Other than that, too, obviously, I preach from the ESV. But as a matter of fact, I don't even, the ESV is not my favorite Bible, though. It's not my favorite translation. My favorite translation is the NAS 1995, the New American Standard. Now, I don't, ima- I don't expect you to go run out and get one, but you should. But, but I'll say this, is that the reason why is, is that there's, and I, and I need to hurry, that there's functional to formal translations of Scripture. You need to understand that. That some of them are built from different texts. The King James Version of the Bible and those that are closely related to it are built from the Textus Receptus, and those that are built from, like the, or, or along the same lines of ESV, uh, NAS, um, Holman, whatever, or from the electric text, the Alexandrian text. And these are different papyri and different scrolls that have been found after the King James was already translated, but actually predate the Textus Receptus and so on and so forth. So, okay, that's, that's a lesson for another day. Here's what I want to show you. And I thought about pulling it up on here, but I'm just going to tell you about it. If you've got an NAS, so, so the ESV even, it, this is why the NAS, I really like it. But to, to finish this whole point is, is that even the KJV doesn't point this out either. So the KJV reads very similar to this. Who's got a KJV in the room? All right, you want to read, read verse 7 for us. Somebody read it. Dwight, read the verse. Are you all right? Yeah, somebody pulled it up in the NAS 1995. Uh, Colossians 2, 7. 
She was in Galatians. That's all right. Colossians 2, 7. Somebody got the NAS? All right, you, you're next. That, that's fine. That's all we need to know. <laughs> Rooted and built up in him. All right, let's, okay, that's what the KJV said too, okay? Let's do NAS. 1995, that's a good year, baby. Hold up right there. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him. Okay. Now, that might not, you know, mean much to you right now, but I want to show you something. The NAS, now I'm not advocating one translation over another. You know, read what you'd like. I think all the major translations are fine, okay? Here's my point, is that the NAS is so, um, so keen on being word for word with the original language that sometimes it can even be kind of awkward because, and I know I've said this before, the Greek language isn't like the English language. Word order in Greek isn't that big of a deal. It's still, it still loosely matters, but it's not quite as big of a deal because it's the word endings that lets the word know or lets you know where the word belongs in the sentence and what part of the sentence it is. But here's what I want to point out here because this, I think, is important. and We're not even going to get through these verses. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And he's pointing to the fact that the same way that you received faith, you continue on walking in the Lord, and that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, my brother John back there, I know he's getting excited because he knows, and we've talked about this, that we as a people have really lost sight and lost this urgency to seek the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to walk according to the Spirit, to, to move according to the Spirit, to be, to be infiltrated and filled and empowered and emboldened by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that caused us and pulled us and transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. That's the Spirit that we need to walk by. And I mean on a daily basis. It's not a one and done. It's a continually daily basis thing. Okay, but... As that, Holy Spirit, as that Holy Spirit moves, I want to point out this. This right here is actually a passive perfect tense word. Now, that matters because it actually teaches us about the reality that we find ourselves in. Paul's saying that you have been as passive too, so it's not something that you did. It's something that God did. You have been rooted. And this past tense is, is, is a perfect past tense, which means that this verb has abiding results up even until now so the 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 rooting that god did it was passive you didn't do it it was something being done to you the rootedness that god did in your life has abiding results all the way up till now that it's not it, it can't be undone that it's done when he rooted you 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 were rooted by the power of the holy spirit through the preaching of the gospel by the granting of faith you have been rooted and that rootedness has abiding results all the way up till now that will last forever that's that's the perfect tense that's what they use it for okay but now watch this if you were just reading this or you're just reading the king james or you're just reading the niv you would think that built up is kind of the same way but wait built up is actually a the same type of participle the same type of of word but it is a present is a passive present tense meaning that this is saying that you have been rooted with abiding results, something done a long time ago, but you are being built up. It's still passive. It's something God is doing in you, but as a present tense, here and now, you are being built up as we speak. 
You see, God has saved you by the power of the Holy Spirit. You've been granted faith and you've been changed. You've been rooted, all right? You have been planted. You can't be undone. God is your roots. God is your foundation. You cannot be undone because it's not you keeping it done. It's God, right? Jesus Christ looks at him and says that, 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 that it's my hand. I am the one who saves. Who will take you out of my hand? I love that verse. I see Christ standing and say, these are mine. Go ahead, try. Who's going to take them out of my hand, right? I love it. I love it. Romans chapter 8, right? Romans chapter 8, the, 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 the teaching could not be more clear. That when God saves, there's no undoing it. But the same Spirit of God that has rooted you in Christ Jesus is building you present tense, ongoing, continual action. He is building you up. God is at work in you, both the willing to work for his good pleasure, and nobody can do it, undo it. So have you ever put these two together? So I bet everyone in the room believes this. Once saved, always saved. Anybody disagree with that? Everybody believes that. How about, how about this? Once, once having begun sanctification, always continuing in sanctification. Once having begun Work, always continuing in work. Okay, now, take those two out. So you have once saved, always saved. That's actually a Baptist, you know, belief. I have issues with that belief. Although I do believe once somebody is saved, they'll always be saved. But there's, there's additions and trimmings on that that I don't really appreciate. But if we take the once saved, always saved, once you... Once you are granted faith and you've been redeemed and you've been born again, you can't be unborn again. You can't be unborned. And we put this idea together that the same spirit that brought regeneration, justification, is the same spirit that continually maintains sanctification and progression into and conforming to the image of God is the same way and nobody can stop either one of them that doctrine is called the perseverance of the saints and this is what that teaches yes one who is truly saved can never be unsaved but also one who is saved will never stop loving the Lord as well he who began a good work will finish the good work and when one falls away and denies the Lord Jesus Christ and he ends up not being saved, it is not because God failed to keep him in the faith that he had. It was because he never was found in the faith. God who began a good work in you will see that work through to the very end until the day of Christ. For God cannot fail and God will not fail. What a blessed doctrine. So we see that we, the effect of gospel firmness is walking in Christ being, and I would say this, being rooted with abiding results and being built up as we continue to progress through. So you are rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. 
Just as you were taught. Again, this is pointing back, and I don't have time. We could go back to Colossians chapter 1, I think it's verse 3, so, somewhere in there, that it says, as you have received, as you were taught, this, this idea that you heard the gospel, you believed, you were granted faith, and you were transformed. And this is how we are continuing, abounding in thanksgiving. It is a true uh, statement that in the scriptures, Paul and other authors oftentimes will give uh, abiding in thanksgiving, abiding in joy, abiding in uh, this, this uh, overwhelming sense of, of wonder. It will give that as an evidence that one has been truly saved. It is an evidence of one who has truly received the faith. So even when the hard times come, remember James. I mean, this is over and over and over in the scriptures. Consider it pure joy. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when, when various kinds of trials and tribulations come. Why? Because it produces steadfastness. Because it produces and reveals the perseverance that you have building up of your faith. Why? Because this is glorifying God. Why? Because it's only by the power of the Spirit that you can maintain faith. That you can maintain keeping your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. When all heck is breaking loose around you. When the storms come and the rains come and the floods rise and pound on that house, it's the rock that keeps it from not falling. It's Christ. Christ is the only one keeping you held up, and I promise you that. If it was not for the sustaining grace of the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, oh, whoa, you better watch out for this man because I'll burn your whole house down. I'll take everything you've got and enjoy every minute of it. Jesus Christ is the only thing that keeps you from becoming Hitler. Jesus Christ is the only thing that, I was going to say something else about our current administration, but Jesus Christ is the only one that keeps you and sustains you and causes you to be godly, causes you to be good and wonderful. Somebody tell me what time it is. I don't even have a clock. All right, I've got a lot of time. <laughs> all right so we're established in the faith we're abounding in thanksgiving now okay remember what i said listen this is not just a sermon it's not just me walking through for factual or mental ascent for you to have some kind of clear understanding i hope we're getting that but this is just what paul teaches should be the effect of gospel firmness so are you walking in christ in the power of the holy spirit as you got saved are you rooted or being rooted uh, are you being built up in Christ Jesus? Are you progressing in, in the things of God? Right? Not in a fleshly way. If, if it's in a fleshly way and you've got to, to will it. Now, I do believe that there's a place for, I call it, I, I love the way my, my old pastor, he made this distinction and, and I loved it. He said, there's di there's, he said, Brandon, there's a difference in works-based righteousness and spiritual discipline. I like that. I like that. Because what we're not saying is, is that just throw all rules and throw all the commands, throw all that out of Scripture. That's not what we're saying. If you got that, I'm sorry. That's not what the teaching is. The teaching is, is that we are to be so given to God that the commands of Scripture are not obligatory. They're not burdensome. That the power of the Holy Spirit, as you walk in the Spirit, as you set your eyes on Christ, and as you meditate on the Scripture, as you meditate on God, as you seek after God, and as you ask to be filled in God, that He would give you this desire. And it wouldn't be out of obligation, but it would be out of desire and passion and longing. I need God. I need the Word of God. And when you get into the Word of God, when you press into God Himself, remember, receive the Lord Jesus Christ. When you receive Him, when you embrace Him, when you 
bring him into in close to you and you hug him and you love him and you get down in that crevice right between his neck and you just love him what happens is this produces fruit in you that you didn't you didn't have any part in really except for just being one with Christ. Remember Galatians, Galatians chapter 5 teaches that it is the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit. Whose fruit is it? It's the fruit of the Spirit. When you start walking with God and walking in the Spirit, that Spirit that abides in you starts to make and manifest fruit in you. Right? It's the word. And God again, let's say it together, gets all the glory. God again gets all the glory. It's all God. It's all God. It's all Him. If God left us, we would be horrid, wretched sinners like you've never seen before. It's all God. Okay, so let's, let's shift now. I wanna, well, I, I do want to show you one thing. One thing, one thing. Let's go here first. Oh, that's cool. Okay, so I want, I want to show you this right quick. And I, and I wanted to give you a visual today um, of something that had just kind of hit my heart and 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 some this anyway just watch so therefore as you received christ jesus the lord so walk in him rooted and built up now a couple of commentaries that i read pointed out this distinction between between being rooted and built up okay so really this is opposite directions we can look at it as i've already presented it and taught it that the rooted is a perfect tense passive verb so it's something that was done to you back then and the being built up is a present tense passive verb that's being done to you in the coming future so it's both ways so it's it's this work that's already been done and this work that's being done right but we can also look at it as i think the text lends itself better to as the the perfect tense rooted as just what it says rooted down and abiding and then being built up okay so it's still two different directions just in a different way of explaining it which is the way the text does it so let's do it the way the text does it so we have seemingly we know all it's an agricultural analogy here so we know that what it means to be rooted correct so we've got oh that ain't one good Let's do it in green since it's agriculture. So we've got this field, right? And we have, I guess, a tree. I think the, the analogy of a tree is very, very consistent through Scripture. So this tree, whatever the tree is like, is, is rooted, okay? So it's, it's rooted really well, okay? We know it's rooted really well because the tense of the verb, the writers use those tenses when something has been done or something is a reality that has abiding and lasting results that's the perfect tense okay so we know that these roots are good it's really rooted in there and it's going to last for whatever is is this way okay so we're being rooted in what christ okay maybe i should do that in a different color we're being rooted in Christ okay but not only are we being rooted in Christ but we're also being what built up okay so yes we're rooted in Christ but we're also built up okay now excuse the art I am no artist I'll go ahead and admit it so whatever's up here is also 
Christ. That's not too bad, huh? Yeah, I think something's wrong right there. Anyway, so we know that whatever is going this way is also the work of Okay, so, but, okay, so Christ is what we've been rooted in, and Christ is what we're being built up in. But what's the actual plant? It's us. We have been rooted, and we are being built up in Christ. So Christ is the roots. He is the abiding reality that keeps the tree of life alive, that is uh, promoting the growth of the tree, that is holding it up, that is keeping it. And Christ is also the one that's causing the growth, causing the strength. Now, that's not where I wanted to end this. I want to show you this as well, because I think this is the next point. Go ahead and put up the next slide for... The goals, the results. Okay, so the result of faith in Christ, which is manifest in wisdom and gospel firmness. So I, I worded it that way because I wanted you to see that this, this is the manifestation of the effects of gospel firmness, meaning that this is what people see in your life if you actually are rooted in the gospel, if you actually are uh, transformed and firm in your faith. If you are a true believer, then the effects of that will be that you'll be walking in Christ, that you'll be rooted and built up, that you will be all these different things, right, that we just talked about. So what, what, are, what can other people see beyond that? What's the results of that firmness, of those walking in Christ, being rooted in, and built up in him, of those things? And I think that we see it here. Turn in the text with me to Colossians chapter 2. We'll go to verse 8. Verse 8 says, okay, so remember he talked about the gospel firmness. He talked about being rooted and built up, abounding in thanksgiving. And he says, with this in the background, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental, uh, elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. So he says that Christ is the foundation and that all of these things that are not according to Christ are to be avoided or to be defended against. So we see the first thing that we want to point out is that the first result that I see in here is a strong defense. Okay? I want to put a few of these up, then I want to talk to you a little bit more about this. So we see a strong defense. So here's, here's the question. Are you able to defend strongly your Christian faith and the hope that you have? Okay? Remember, First Peter, that we are to be able to give an account. We are to be able to give an answer for those who would ask us uh, about the hope that we have in us, we are to do it with gentleness and respect, but we are to be ready to give an account. That you should be able to defend your faith. And many of us, I'm afraid, cannot defend our faith. And when I say that, I don't mean that you just have uh, ready answers that you could karate chop somebody with. No, what I mean is, is that you are so in tune with the Lord Jesus Christ, walking by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you are in his word, that you are being consumed with his word, you are, his word is being written on your heart, that you might not sin against him, and that you're ready to love peacefully respectfully take cap uh, 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 take captive every thought that is and make it obedient to Christ which is what Paul said in another place 
that we are to be ready to give a defense, that we are to have a strong defense. The next thing is, is that we are to have awareness of the nature of reality and awareness of the truth. You see, when he says here, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. How is it that no one would be able to take you captive? Well, I think if we, and I don't really have time to spend on this, but oftentimes the way that we take someone captive is to, the same way that we take anything captive. I've, uh, Hambones had um, um, uh, raccoons all around his house now for months, okay? He's had raccoons all around. They're tearing stuff up. They're, 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 they're destroying his, his porch and the things on his porch. And so Hamill's like, I got to get rid of these raccoons. I had raccoons at my house too. They were all in my basement or my crawl space. I don't know where they come from, but there's raccoons. Uh, Asher looked out his bedroom window the other night, and there's two raccoons just playing in our yard. I'm like, where do these animals come from? I've caught three raccoons, two skunks, three possums, and a few cats at my house. I'm like, what in the world is going on? But how do we capture it? Hamill said, we got to capture these things. We said, how do we capture these things? Well, I went on Amazon. I bought me a cage. You know, the, the, the most glorious things come from Amazon. Uh, even though uh, we probably shouldn't give them our money. But we got this cage off of Amazon, right? We got this cage off of Amazon. And the way that you do it is how? Everybody knows. What do you do? You bait it. But what does bait do? Lures them in, right? It attracts them. It looks good, smells good. The really, really, really stinky stuff is the best for the skunks, right? You can put uh, fish in there. I don't really like fish all that much, although I eat it sometimes. Some of y'all like it, but it stinks, right? It stinks so bad. But the stinkier, the better. Anyway, they like it. I don't know why, but they like it. So if you put this bait in there, it's enticing to them. It's alluring to them. And what happens is they see it, and they're like, hmm. That looks very good, you know what's up? And so they're wandering around. They're following their nose, right? They're following their desires. They're following this, the lie. It's a lie, right? Because I've lied to them. We got this cage, and I gave it to Hambone, and he put this uh, cat food in there, I don't know, some stuff in there, and he lied to them raccoons. He did, right? He deceived them raccoons. He really, really did because he's like, look, I've got something good over here, you know, and it looked good. He deceived them. They thought, oh, this is going to be good for me. This is going to be yummy in my tummy, right? And so they found their way into this trap. It was a trap the whole time, and I wonder what the raccoon thought when that door said, but Hambone deceived the raccoons, and he captured them, right? He captured them by offering them something that looked so good, but oh, was so costly. What was the raccoons missing? Why did they get captured? Anybody? Huh? God, yeah. Huh? The truth. The truth. If the raccoon could have somehow understood, right? If he was like Rocket, you know, and he could talk. You'd be like, Rocket, look, man, if you go in the cage, the truth is you're going to get captured. And his eyes were open to the reality that this which looked so good was a lie. And some big man in a house that was bald was going to capture him and take him far away, away from his home, away from his family, right? He would have never gone in. He wouldn't have got captured. He would have said, I see, I see. And he would have never gone in. Funny way to see the same truth. Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. In other places, it's vain philosophy. I don't have a problem with philosophy. I love philosophy, right? But I love philosophy that's built on the scripture. 
That's good philosophy, right? And I think it's the weapon that we need many times. Because all good biblical philosophy is is just a, an awareness of what the scriptures actually teach, right? So vain philosophy, philosophy here. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. It's funny that he would use that word, right? So, okay, so we are to have a good, strong defense, awareness of, nat uh, 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 awareness of the nature of reality. we got to be able to see things for what they are, right? Awareness of the truth. And who is the truth? You notice I didn't say what's the truth. Who's the truth? Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to know truth, you got to know. If you want to know truth, you got to know. Jesus. Right. And going back, I mean, I could put the thing up, but then my, my drawing would look weird. But remember what it says. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the, the, he is the direct object of the receiving. You received him. Him, not a truth about him, not a truth taught by him. Him. Jesus says plainly, I am the truth. Not I speak a truth. I am the truth. You need Christ. So, okay, so we're rooted in Christ. Uh, we're rooted in Christ. We're built up in Christ. And we have a strong defense because of the root system that we have. And because of the structure that we have. This is us being built up in Christ. Because of the structure that is rooted in Christ and built up in Christ. Then we have strong defenses against what? And this is so good. Because if you read the scriptures like this, it just brings, if you know the other scriptures, it brings to mind. Remember what, it, what remember Ephesians chapter 4, what it said? That, that when, uh, that, that you, uh, when you equip the saints for the work of the ministry being what? Huh? Rooted in Christ. Being built up for the, it's all these different things. And it says what? It says what in Ephesians 4 too? It says, not being blown around by every wind of doctrine, by everything that was so easily deceived. Oh, it's so good. So we have these strong winds that are coming, right? We have these strong winds that are blowing through the tree and pushing on the tree and trying to blow the tree over, right? We have all these things that are come against it. Human tradition. Now that's going to be one. Uh, I'm going to put vain philosophy because I think there's a distinction. Empty deceit. Let's see what else he says in here. He says, see to it that nobody takes you captive. Uh, by philosophy and enter deceit according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits um, of the world, and not, a, and not according to Christ. So he's saying that anytime you've got doubt, that you need to look to Christ. That you need to look to Christ. Anytime anything comes, it, it can blow all it wants to. It can push all it wants to. But it's never going to affect us. It's never going to take us. It's never going to capture us. Why? Because we know Christ. And if it's not of Christ, then 
push it away from me. Paul's going to say later that Christ is all. You see, the, 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 the message of the gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no fuller meaning of the gospel than the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to go ahead and move on, and then I'll close out with Christ. Well, we know that uh, the result of faith in Christ, which is manifest in wisdom and gospel firmness, is a strong defense, an awareness of the nature of reality, an awareness of the truth. And watch this, freedom from the natural or the nominal. What, what do you think he means when he says that uh, we don't need to be uh, taken captive by human tradition? That we don't need to be taken captive by human tradition? Well, I, I think it's pretty clear what he means there, uh, looking at some other texts as well. But that he would be suggesting that we don't get so wrapped up in the thoughts and uh, methods of men that we lose sight of what the scripture actually teaches and what the gospel actually is. Now, I would say that he put human tradition here uh, because uh, to keep us from thinking that all tradition is bad. Now, we know that Jesus or Paul didn't think all tradition was bad because they often reached back to the traditions of old. Uh, I mean, the Septuagint was the most used Bible. Uh, that's another um, argument of why originalism, which is the original documents, are the only trustworthy documents. I don't think that's a good argument because Jesus Christ himself and the authors of the New Testament relied heavily on the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebraic uh, Bible, uh, and, and, and so we know that they trusted a translation. So it's not about trusting what men did to, uh, to um, maintain the translation. It's about God making sure that his word is going to endure forever. And so anyway, that's just a side note. But my, back to my point is that they used the uh, Septuagint, so they trusted the scriptures. They also looked to traditions that weren't human tradition, but that were built on the word of God. So there's no problem with that. As I like to say, everybody has tradition. So you see a lot of, uh, a lot of old, old churches, fundamental, conservative, super conservative, some would say legalistic. A lot of those types of churches, they're all about tradition. And oftentimes, I'm afraid that the tradition is not rooted in Scripture and is therefore hindering of the actual Word of God and Christ going forth. I think that's a problem sometimes. But also, on the other end of the spectrum, you have new churches that say that all tradition is bad, and so they abandon everything. The problem with that is, is that many of the traditions are rooted in Scripture, and if you abandon a tradition just because it's a tradition without examining the foundation of the tradition, then you're most likely going to throw out some good Bible traditions too. So that's a two-edged sword, and you need to be careful. Paul is warning about human tradition, okay? And so he talks about this in several different other places, man-made rules, man-made declarations, uh, um, these things that man would heap up on you in order to um, add to the gospel or take away from the gospel. And Paul's very clear in his book, uh, uh, in his letter to the Galatians, he says, uh, if any man adds to these words or if any man preaches a gospel other than the one that you have heard from us, may he be anathema, may he be accursed. He will be cursed, cut off. And so we know that what Paul is saying here is that if some, and remember who he's talking to, he's talking to those who have at least the Gnostics had attempted to influence and they're saying they're actually talking about the elemental spirit. So this is a more direct 
um, uh, defense against them. But he's saying that these who are telling you these things, these, these who are adding to the gospel and talking about these spirits and all this Gnosis, all this stuff, all this asceticism, as if there was some other way to have peace with God and relationship with God outside of the person and work of Jesus Christ, who is the Lord, then you need to uh, you need to be able to answer them. You need to be able to give an, a, a defense to them. And you do not need to be taken captive. Now, I wish I had about another hour and a half, two hours, because it is very true that Paul lays out how to take uh, that thought captive. So he, he says to the Corinthians, he says that, he says, our weapons are not of this world, but our weapons of, are of supernatural nature. We do not fight as those in this world fight, but we fight in God's ways, so to speak. I'm paraphrasing. He says that we take every thought captive and we make it obey Christ, right? So he is saying that our understanding of reality is such and so um, superior, not because we're superior, but because Christ is the actual truth. He's not just a speaker of the truth, but he is truth, that we have such a superior position that all we have to do is present the gospel and it will uh, it will destroy every argument that's presented against it. So we know that these are the results, uh, the freedom from the natural, the nominal, uh, also freedom from the sub-supernatural, so the elemental spirits. So they had this weird position that you need to pay homage to all these different types of spirits, and, and you know, to give homage to Christ is to take away. No, 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 no. We abandon all other spirits. The Spirit of God is the only spirit. So we're not, we're not given to ghosts and goblins and, 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 and all these different types of things, all these different little G-gods. We're not worried about any of that. We're for Christ. Freedom to God. Now, here, here's where I want to finish, and you guys can't come up. I'm, I'm about done. Here's what I want to finish with because this is the most powerful section of this scripture in my mind. And I want to point out something here uh, that hopefully will be meaningful to you in God's Word. Look at verse 9. <clears throat> verse 9 starts, <clears throat> For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. For in him... That should be capital. That drives me crazy. For in him the whole... Now, I'm not going to go back and build this whole argument again uh, that, you know... Paul believes that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, Yahweh. We've already built that, I don't know how many times, up one side and down the other. This is one more declarative statement that I don't know how you could uh, in, uh, understand it any other way. For in him, in who? Christ Jesus, the whole. There's nothing else remaining. There's, there's no minuscule part that Christ doesn't have but the whole and if that wasn't enough the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in Christ Jesus now that is a declarative statement of all, what he's already shown that Jesus Christ is holy and completely and fully God there's no other way to understand it but he said this in leading to this. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you. Now, that's an amazing statement. Dear reader, dear Christian, dear believer. 
That's you. You could put your name in there. We could say, and Dwight, and Brandy, and Robert, and GB, and Ben. And Ben has been filled in him. You see, you see any similarities? The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. You have been filled up with Christ. You have been filled up with God, who is the head of all rule and authority. In the Great Commission, it speaks of Christ receiving all authority, all authority, as the power of the Holy Spirit resurrected him from the dead. You see, Jesus Christ is the ruler of reality. Jesus Christ is the ruler of the seen and the unseen. Jesus Christ is Yahweh. He is the Lord. He is God come in the flesh. He is fully God. And the most beautiful thing that you could possibly understand, if you don't understand anything else today, that God, who created the heavens and the earth, in all of His splendor, in all of His righteousness, in all of His glory, all of his power, all of his might, all of his authority came to dwell in you. Really? He came to dwell in you. What? You have been filled full in him who is the head of all rule and authority. This right here. This is how we become ambassadors of Christ. You see, Jesus Christ died upon the tree to become a curse for you and for me. The Lord Jesus Christ descended into the grave for the joy that was set before him, despising the shame of the cross. He suffered all that loss so that you and I might be found. But as we are found and as he is resurrected from the grave in great power, great power that is the same power that saves comes to dwell in you and me. The power that resurrects Christ from the dead is also able to give us life. The Bible says that he has made us alive. That is another one of those past tense verbs. You have been made alive. It's not a promise for one day that you'll be made alive. It's not a guarantee that you'll be resurrected. It is that, but it is much more that you have been made alive in Christ and you have been indwelt by the powerful God that overcame death, hell, sin, and Satan. That you have been seated in the heavenly places next to Christ Jesus now, right? That the, that the kingdom of God, that the power of God, that the spirit of God that raised Christ Jesus from the grave would come and break into this realm once again through the believers in Christ Jesus because they have received the same spirit of God. And that power, that rule, that authority now abides in you. Not that you would dominate those around you. Not that you would be hateful. That would be anti-gospel. Not that you would be uh, harsh rulers, no. But that you would carry a superior light that is the Christ. And that everywhere you went, 
you would have the power as the vessel of God carrying the glory of God and the gospel of Christ to break in through the barrier that is death, hell, sin, and Satan. And when you proclaim the righteousness of Christ and the gospel, it shatters the darkness. It frees the captives. It destroys every argument that is raised against Christ. And you, my friend, can be used by God as a vessel of God, as a vessel of light to destroy the enemy, to destroy the chains, to take captive every thought. And as you take that captive, free those who have been swallowed up by this world. So let's all stand to our feet. I want you to remember these two things. If you're in Christ, then not only are you rooted and you can be sure of your salvation and your relationship with Him throughout all of your entire life, even in the hard times. Not that you would rest in the hard times and enjoy them because you don't need to worship Him or obey Him. No, no, no. Every true Christian knows that's not even a question. But that when you do fall and you do fail, you can remember that you have an advocate with the Father. And that true love is not that you loved Him in order to make Him love you, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and gave Himself for us. So one, you're rooted in Christ, but two, it is Christ also who is at work in you, both the willing to work for His good pleasure, and that He will never let you down. He will never let you stray. I had an experience the other day where I had been in the wrong and uh, a brother of mine, I didn't mean to do this, but a brother of mine had been offended or his feelings had been hurt and it twisted me up inside. I didn't even really realize I had done anything wrong, but the Spirit twisted me up inside and I couldn't rest, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't get away from it and the Spirit said, you got to call your brother. The Bible says, why do you think it says this? It says, if you find yourself at the altar and you're going to offer a gift to Christ and you realize your brother has sinned against you or you realize you've offended your brother, then leave your gift at the altar and go make amends with your brother. Go make it right with your brother because, and then come back and offer your gift because that unforgiveness can't live in a believer. That hatred, that, that anxiety, all of that can't live in a believer. So we don't, obey Christ because we must we obey Christ because we love him we gotta have him we want more we want more we long we long for Christ he is cap oh this is good he has captured us take every thought captive if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ he has captured you and you don't want him to let you go he loves you he demonstrated his love on the cross. And as we go forth here today, I want you to walk in him. I want you to trust him. Dig deep. Pursue after him. And as you grow in your awareness and your sanctification and your understanding, take every thought captive. Destroy arguments. Not in hatred, but in respect and in love. Take captive every thought. Make sure to make them obedient to Christ who is God. Christ is God. Let's worship Him with every fiber of our being. You can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to lead us. Are we in agreement with that, church? We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. As we do this last song, do business with God. Ask God to fill you with the Spirit in a, in a special way. 
Ask God to take you to that place where all you can see is Christ and His goodness to capture your mind. Take you to that next place. Let's let's, uh, respond and I'll close us out in prayer. Do business with God.